Well then, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. You know, for the, uh, for the past, oof, I would say, year, one of the things that I like to do when I preach is I try and find a current event to preach on. But for quite a while there, things were going very smoothly, right? But now we seem to have hit quite the bump in the road. And now there seems to be no end for things in the current events to preach on. But I think that there's a lot of things that we can kind of observe and see how there are similar problems throughout all these things. Especially looking and seeking how we can find in God's Word how this applies to our lives and how it's actually meaningful. We want to know how to respond to political things. We want to know what does God say about this or that so that we can effectively vote or do something in regards to our government and political systems. But yet, it's very frustrating. I'm sure all of you are well aware you see the president do something big or small or whatever. Other politicians then respond either in favor or against him. News outlets then pick up the story and they bring in their opinions as well with their various experts. And then the internet opens its floodgates and all the many users begin to respond. And there's just division. People are just furious at one another. You all know that I like to use pictures for my sermons and it was hard and difficult for me to even find one that wouldn't rouse some sort of hurt feelings in somebody. It's how divisive our country has become, especially in politics. But it's not just politics. We see the racial tensions in our country and we want to know what does God's word have to say about what's going on here? We see the, the killing of George Floyd some shout police brutality, some shout that he deserved it. Then there are protests, some protests for police reform, some protest in support of the police, but all there is is division and hatred. But in order to get a good look at everything, I want you to think about football. And I'm not talking about thinking about the guys who have been kneeling during the national anthem. I just want you to think about the simple competition of football. So, who is Minnesota's NFL team? Vikings, right? Who do the Vikings hate? The Packers, right? You know, and that's just how it is. I'm a St. Louis fan. That means I like the Cardinals for baseball. Does anybody know who then, who I hate? Hate the Cubs, right? Uh, I'm a Blues fan for hockey, so that means I hate the Blackhawks, right? I don't actually hate them. I went to school in Chicago and I have a ton of friends who are Blackhawks and Cubs fans. It's not like I hate them, you know. And, and we were just joking around. Pastor Werner is known to be a Packers fan. And when the Packers and the Vikings play, you guys are going to tease each other. It's inevitable. It's going to happen. He's also a Brewers fan, and I'm a Cardinals fan. And when our teams play each other, we're going to tease each other about it. Because it's fun. That's just the fun of the sport. 
But that simple example is what is called tribalism. My tribe versus your tribe, my people versus your people. And honestly, this is the problem with the United States. In politics, it's conservative versus liberal, it's the Republican versus Democrat, and it only seems to function on those two sides. There is no middle ground. We hear of libertarians and the Green Party, but people seem to ignore them and just split things on two sides. And you know, the topic is so hostile and so contentious. There's so many arguments about this that I am even nervous to bring it up. Nervous about some, someone getting upset. Well, I belong to this side and you were talking about them and now we're, we're going to fight with each other about some, some sort of nonsense. But you know, some of the things I've seen in, in my few years on this earth is that how people will just stay on their lines regardless. You know, just for an example, you can have a politician, and they are the perfect candidate. And I mean perfect, right? They have a clean record. Their history of serving this country is remarkable. It's amazing. They say all the right things. Their speeches are beautiful and eloquent, and they, they get people charged up and excited about our nation. But yet, just because they belong to one political party, people won't vote for them. Regardless of how good that person might be, they won't vote for them because either they're a Republican or they're a Democrat. But we see another kind of tribalism in our country, a tribalism based on skin color. You're black and I'm white, and therefore there's this separation. We just can't get along. I've talked with you before about my vicarage in Baltimore. Baltimore is roughly 70% black. I lived in a black neighborhood and I worked at a white church. And the, the struggle that I had on my vicarage was trying to convince these people that if they didn't want their church to fail, they needed to start to look more like their neighborhood, which had transitioned from being a, a white German neighborhood into a black neighborhood. But they refused. They simply wouldn't do anything. They wondered why their church was struggling. Now, were they racist or were they just simply afraid of change? I don't know, but it was a continuing struggle. And there are so many other examples of this. I have a few friends who are of a different race than me who tell me how they feel they are targeted by the police who have told me examples of being pulled over. And it's not just black people, but also Latinos and Asians. That there's this continuing feeling and, and uh, animosity and hatred of the police because they feel like they're targeted. A lot of times it's this tribalism that's in there. You are not a part of my tribe, so you are a threat. This is a huge problem of the United States, but it's also a problem of the world and it's a problem of history. If you go online and you look at some place that might have some internet, some Europeans or Australians or someone from Asia chiming into the situation in the United States, they're making fun of us about all of the things going on in our country. But really, like, this is a continuing issue of the world. We have the, the history of the world which shows that people simply 
hate each other. The British and the French hate each other. And it was brutal around the time of, of Jean, uh, Jean of Arc. We have the Crusades, historically, the Christians versus the Muslims. They hated each other. And it's a continuing issue because nations like Japan have been historically closed off from the rest of the world. If you look at Eastern Europe, the Baltic states and, and Russia and old USSR countries and things like that, they hate each other. And even before Germany was united, there were many different German states. And guess what? They hated each other. You can't control where you're born, you can't control what race you are, but yet after you become an adult, there is this division that forms. And this has been going on forever. This, of course, is the problem of sin, but more specifically, the problem of hatred. Us versus them is a reality of sin and hatred. And it's even happening to us here at Trinity. I can't tell you how many times I have heard of this peace versus Trinity fight. And it's ridiculous because we are literally on the same side. Striving for the same goals and purposes. But yet, the people of peace belong to peace. The people of Trinity belong to Trinity. And that's how it is. It's ridiculous. But it's, it's sin. This us versus them thing is just plain sin. And it's a matter of hatred. And while you might think that that's kind of a jump, I would argue that these divisions cause hatred, allow hatred to flourish, and prevent us from loving. But again, this is not new. Look even to Scripture. Now what God does is he establishes this nation of Israel after there were so many other nations that simply lost him, ignored him, abandoned him, whatever. He forms this nation of Israel to be his people, to bring about his purposes. These were a people to be holy to him. But as we read through the scriptures, especially in the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, we hear how they are even given ways to welcome the foreigner in. Those who do not belong to Israel can be welcomed in. But what we see is that they continually close themselves off. And they do it with a sort of superiority. But when things are so bad, this is why we have that huge section of our Bible of the prophets. When Israel falls away and, and basically refuses to, to care for the foreigner, one of the, the biggest reasons that Israel fell was because they neglected the poor, the widowed, the orphans, the foreigner. And so God comes to them and speaks to them using words of encouragement, also words of warning. But especially in Isaiah today, we hear words of encouragement of God's future plan, of God's vision, that when all are gathered, when the outsider is welcomed in, when all are brought to God's holy mountain and joined together, as the outcast of Israel is gathered in, so is the outsider. 
This is the vision that God has because this is what he wants his people to be a part of. This is the reality that will come. And of course, we know that this reality is brought through Israel. It is brought in the person of Jesus Christ. But yet, what we turn and see in Matthew 15 today is something kind of different from what we would expect of Jesus. We have a foreign woman, an outsider, who comes to Jesus and says, I need help. My daughter is, is struggling and, and oppressed by a demon. She needs you. And Jesus ignores her, which is so difficult to deal with because this is not how we know Jesus to be. And then as he ignores her, the, the apostles come up and are just like, just get rid of her. Like, let's just move on. Jesus says that he is only brought to the people of Israel. It's not right to give to others what he was brought to bring to them. And the woman responds, but yeah, even, even the scraps that fall off the table, the crumbs that fall off the table are given to the dogs, and it's fine. And it's at that that Jesus praises this woman and her faith. It's, it's, it's hard to deal with this story because it's, it's strange. It's not what we would expect. But the praising here is not the fact that she calls herself a dog and, and can get scraps but that her faith in Christ knows that even just a crumb of his glory will save her daughter. And it's that that Jesus praises. I think what's, what's going on here is, is, using, is Jesus is using this woman as an example. And to kind of help you understand where my mind is, we, we look elsewhere in Scripture to where Jesus heals the blind man, Right? So there's a blind man, and Jesus and his disciples are walking along, and the disciples say, hey, Jesus, this guy's blind. Whose sin was it? Was it his mom's or his dad's that made him born blind? And Jesus' response is, "That's no, it's not, not any of that. This is happening so that God's glory can be shown through him. And then Jesus heals him, right? I think that this is a similar story, that this mother's faith is so profound that she is being used as an example so that we can see that God's glory and power can be made known and be given even to the outsider, the foreigner, the one of Israel. Because that's the power of the gospel. The power of the gospel is to welcome the outsider in, to bring them in to God's holy family. Because this is what has happened to us. Due to the problem of sin, we have been separated from God. The relationship has been simply destroyed. And as Paul says in Romans 8, we are even hostile to God. This is the definitive example of us versus them. But now it's, it's us versus God. Creation versus its creator. But this is the reason for salvation is to restore the relationship, to restore everything. But what I want you to see is how God does it. How God does it is he joins as an insider and an outsider. 
The important key about Jesus is that he is 100% God and 100% man for this exact reason, to solve this division. He is the perfect go-between, the perfect mediator, because he is perfectly both sides. And he is here, God in the flesh. And what is important to remember, too, is that he is God in the flesh on the cross. That he is bearing the weight of the sins of mankind. He is bearing the punishment of God's wrath towards sin. But he is also doing what needs to be done to restore the relationship. To bring us all back together. And through the death and resurrection of Jesus... This division's gone. Our sins are forgotten. The record is wiped clean. There isn't even a record anymore. We are just restored through Jesus. And as Paul reminds us today, this all happens so that we can receive God's mercy. So as we continue to look at, we will, I mean, it's an election year and and these racial tensions aren't going away anytime soon and Well, y'all love football, so that's going to keep happening. As all of this continues to happen, this response that we need to have to this us versus them problem is mercy. It's a simple answer, but a difficult process. We need to stop and personally know the mercy that we have received from God. How we have been set free, not because of anything special about us, whether we belong to a certain tribe or anything like that, but because of God's mercy, we have received mercy, and now we get to be merciful to others. And I'm not talking about being merciful to Packers fans. I'm talking about being merciful to those whom you disagree with, having mercy on a liberal or mercy on a conservative Mercy on a Democrat, mercy on a Republican, mercy on someone who is black or white, someone of any different race. The language that God gives us to speak now is that of mercy. We are called to walk in the footsteps of Christ, not dying for people, but bringing God's mercy to everyone. And guess what? This is really hard. This is excruciatingly difficult. Because you have to be merciful to that person who is the worst. The loudest voice, the one that shouts in your face, the one that points in your face and calls you awful and horrible in all words. You have to be merciful to them. And that's difficult. But that is also why God has not abandoned you. Why he continues to be with you. Through promises and gifts like baptism, we are given things like God himself. We are given the Holy Spirit. We are given the power of prayer. We are given all of these things so that we can still go to God and say, Lord, I know I'm supposed to love this person, but they're pretty unlovable right now. Help. This is what God has done for you, for me, for all people. So that we would be united in mercy. Especially that mercy that we know through Christ.
Amen? Amen. Amen.